This is the one with a sassy Lancashire Time zombie. An android who isn't paranoid enough. A message in a bottle. The TARDIS swimming pool. And a big friendly button. It's called Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS. Here we go. We're still on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. We're slipping and angels now. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and Wow! Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? Bing bong and Shazamatron, hello ladies and gentlemen, and all within and between and beyond, welcome to yet another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doc Past. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do it. I didn't say it. My only hope was that you would say that together over each other so that nobody could make out what was going on. But it's in the past now. I am Drew McWen, one of but three co-hosts tonight. And you've already heard these other two people butting in. On my left is... It's me, Jim. Hello. Hello, Jim. And opposite Jim is... Hello, it's me, Leon. Hello. Hello. And we should start with an apology right away to Sash34. Yes, very, very sorry, Sash. Whose favourite co-host is Marie, but Marie is not here tonight on account of being poorly. So you might want to skip to number 100, sorry. (laughs) And also, Marie, when you're listening, hope you're feeling better. Yes. Well, I don't know. I think we want to make Marie feel worse that she wasn't here (laughs) to experience all of this in the flesh. We should make this the best episode ever. Well, it wasn't half bad to begin with. Is that what you think? (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Winnie! (laughs) Jim? I actually don't know if I've made up my mind about this yet. Okay. I, I'm getting splinters on the fence, I think. Ready ready to be pushed one way or another. <laughs> oh, excellent. Let's are, do are that. Are you getting those splinters in like a really awkward place as you're scaling the fence? Yes. Mm. Right round my bum. Tell me more. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, sorry. Drew, uh, you were about to suggest a B-scale. Yes, I definitely was. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? Big bruv, kid bruv, and robo bruv are wielding an illegal magno grab to salvage the not exactly derelict spacecraft that is the TARDIS. Coincidentally, in an effort to make peace between his companion and his timeship, the Doctor has just deactivated the shield oscillators and given Clara the reins, which gets them sucked straight into the salvager's junk hole. With its oscillating engine bits damaged, the TARDIS is now destined to self-destruct. Plus, it's filling up with poisonous fumes, and Clara's been left to roam the TARDIS innards on her own. Plus, time zombies have suddenly appeared in there as well, and are out to get anything that's unzombied. A race against the clock thus starts, as the Doctor must enlist the services of the three bravs who got them into this jam in the first place, to travel deep into the heart of his timeship and save both it and the impossible girl. B-Scout over, you are welcome. Aren't you just... I don't know who that is. It's some dude. Certainly not anyone in this room. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you guys want to start? I'd like to start, not with a question. Okay. With a discussion. All right. About the format of Doctor Who episodes. Oh, okay. Interesting. Because this episode begins with an opening shot of a gigantic CGI spaceship, which, with its enormous size, seems to signify... A multitude of possibilities for the episode we're about to watch. And this is not the first time this has happened in Doctor Who. However big the spaceship, though, there's a crew of three or four, or maybe six or seven if it's a double-parter. 
And it's never any more than that because that is the maximum number of people you can get to know on a more than paper thin basis in the restricted time we have. So can we not over egg the CGI at the beginning? Because it just leads to disappointment. I agree with you. On the scale of the ship, it didn't dawn on me until we get that weird scene of the uh, the claw grabbing the TARDIS and ferrying it into the ship. Because it seems like, holy smokes, this is enormous. Absolutely enormous. And then we spend no time in it whatsoever. We don't spend any time. But I, I actually disagree. I think this is the one time where it kind of makes sense that it's a massive ship because they're salvaging other ships. In fact, they're actually capturing other ships. So it needs to be a massive vessel. But, but to... we never get to see what that looks like. Well, not like, really. Is there a warehouse in there? Or... It, it doesn't fit very well with then the practical effect of the TARDIS just lying on its side amongst a load of yeah, a, in like other a, random crash. In a closet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that's the thing. We only get to see the closets of these gigantic constructions. Also, the salvage element sort of gave me Firefly vibes. Isn't that yeah. a sort of salvage oh, ship? Oh, interesting. And that's not nearly as big. It's they not, don't need to be that that's big. That's not a salvage ship, is it? Oh, I guess it is. They're sort of the nicking no, bits they, and pieces off. They run under the radar with lots of different things. Yeah, they smuggle and stuff. I, I got vibes from that absolutely horrendous uh, attempt at a franchise, Mortal Engines. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, you, you have dodged a bullet, <laughs> a gigantic London-sized bullet. Yes, a gigantic Peter Jackson-produced bullet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because they're the huge London grabs all. This is something that they do much better in that film than they do in this episode. They grab small cities, eat them up, basically. And then just to understand what that means, what that process means, you get to see, oh, so there's a process where basically like a conveyor belt. Like, oh, so metal goes here, plastic goes there. We're stealing these bits. We're doing those things. But here it's nothing. Like there's a gigantic machine that grabs the TARDIS. But why isn't it picking it apart? Why isn't it putting it next to another spaceship? Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, so far all they've got is sort of trailing fuel lines. Just a big heap of them. That's all they've picked up from space yeah. so far. Yeah, w- oh, <laughs> yeah exactly. Because <laughs> later in the episode, they're using tools to take apart the console of the TARDIS. Like They're, they're thinking really miniature with the stuff they want to salvage. Mm. So it, again, it doesn't fit. Because if, if it's a big size ship that is taking apart other ships with a crew of three people, you would assume it's all automated. It's like you basically just... They're there, they capture something, and then they just wait for it to be ripped apart and go, right, okay, we'll sell that down the local dodgy market for £3.99. Yeah. Um, but they're yeah, wo- The local Akartan souk. Yeah. But they're, they're wo- working with, well, what looks like a... Uh, a laser arc welder. Yeah, arc welder, that was the thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, or, or, no, it's a disc saw, that's what it looks like. It looks like a disc saw. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it turns out to be a laser thing. And I was going to ask in a more general sense, because you guys are the classicists of this podcast, is this the only way Doctor Who's ever done it? Or in the serials, do you get a bigger cast to enjoy and sort of watch the growth of? I would say not. Well, we get to see a a bigger cast of, certainly of of expendables. Like on a (laughs) a few occasions, we've had a, a gigantic ship with a massive crew of red shirts and then, like, a handful of protagonists of the week. Yeah, I think I think we've definitely seen the same thing with ships, though, where it's, like, we see a dozen people for a, a city-side spaceship. Or It's not an Enterprise D-sized crew. That show gives you that... the impression of hundreds of people are on this ship. And you yeah, never get that in Doctor Who. At least modern Doctor Who. I think they just... They, they suffer from the big sci-fi thing in general of planets being one village, 
spaceships being the command crew. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, yeah, the scale is always wrong. Yeah, the exception the, the exception comes after this, I think, in World Enough and Time, where they have hundreds of decks and there are whole oh, societies yes. on each deck. That, I think, is the one occasion I'm aware of that broke this trend. But I feel like we've recently had this in Classic Who, where, where they did it right. Didn't we have a, a, an Enterprise-ish crew in that one with the Disco Werewolves? Well, that was one I was thinking of. And I, I think there's actually only about a dozen people we see. Oh, really? And it's a but big also, ship. But also tons of red shirts. I mean, there are like a bajillion Enterprise dudes that just buy it. And we never get I, to I, know I their might names. question bajillion. <laughs> <laughs> Let's Define see. bajillion. Uh, a, a dozen, give or take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And no, I don't, I don't think this is unique to New Who. I don't think it's... You no, you're probably who. you are probably right, but maybe it's just a, oh well that effect of having a big ship just go past. It looks really cool. Does it make any sense? Is it relevant to this? No, not really. But it, let's do it. Let's it use makes it. sense for Red Dwarf when Lister's the last human alive, yeah. but not for these three brothers. Why are these three dudes in the same room to begin with? Like, surely if you have a gigantic spaceship, you have to travel through space together with only the company of two other people. After a while, you're gonna get sick and tired of those dudes. Why don't we start with them? Like one is in a gigantic like squash court playing by himself and another one is you know roaming empty corridors you know i think actually red dwarf books handle this kind of thing as well so because mm. these look I, I buy in the concept of this ship having to be massive because it's dealing with massive things mm-hmm. but what they didn't do is explain how the ship kind of automates some of that or something but I, i'm pretty sure in, in red dwarf they have the earth turns into a garbage planet and there's like one guy basically in a little capsule that's pushing around Wally. yeah <laughs> but he's he's pushing around like city-sized mounds of rubbish okay in in a massive machine but obviously he's just sat in a little cab of like a crane type thing yeah you know and that's what it should be it should be that they're in this tiny bit of the massive ship and they wouldn't have any tools they wouldn't basically do anything hands-on they would just sit there press some buttons and the ship would do the rest of it yeah. But they just didn't mesh the two ideas very well because they needed to go small to go into the TARDIS. Yeah, I sort of like the counterpoint of the TARDIS where the TARDIS is this tiny thing, but there is an infinity to explore within it. So I get that that's maybe a contrast, but it's not very well explained. You have to fish for it. Yeah, I think that's probably the only reason they did it. It's like they thought, oh, it'd be really interesting if they're on a massive ship and then they go into the TARDIS and actually it's even bigger. Yeah, but in order for that to work, we need to see it in the gigantic warehouse innards of that massive ship. Yeah. We, we, if we see it inside a little corridor, then it's just a minor extension of the effect that we get anyway, just by looking at the box, the police box. The corridor isn't much bigger than the box exterior. No. So, so would we have been happy if 30 second rewrite of the scene, they come down a little lift sharp... They open some doors. It is a humongous warehouse. There are some other derelict yes. spaceships CGI in the background. Yep, the Ark of the Covenant way at the back. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And then it's, yeah. one dude who's just gotten lost. He started looking for the water closet Dad, like 15 we years ago. You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, found me? I was I was just exploring around the back. <laughs> it's been seven years. What? What have you done so- to Tricky? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, I. Okay, I kind of agree. Kind yeah. of disagree. I think I think that would be a fantastic uh, retro rewrite. It only took us fifteen minutes about <laughs> talking about the, the size of their ship. I, I just think that size it, is important. You know? <laughs> I, 
just think it's something Doctor Who could do better in general. I feel like people writing their own Doctor Who episodes come with the baggage of hundreds of episodes they've seen before, potentially. Yeah. And it just makes them think, it funnels them into thinking, this is how a Doctor, epi- Doctor Who episode works. And you've got to think outside the gigantic box. <laughs> you know what, actually, sidestepping from what we're talking about. Yeah, please do. I think that's my <laughs> biggest problem with this episode, is that at its core... It's probably an incredibly interesting premise, but I'm just not convinced it's done well enough. So which parts of... Uh, I mean, just I think just the idea, the very core idea of going into the TARDIS and having to fix something, but it's like a labyrinth, it's a infinite space. So what would you have liked to see, have seen differently or more of, perhaps? I think the thing that bothered me the most is that the TARDIS is kind of turned into a villain for yeah. a start. Yeah, I agree. And... I just how flippant it is with time. This whole episode is just rewriting... St- like, the, the whole ending is just a big reset button. Yeah. I don't profess to fully understand the ending, even, frankly. Nor me. Good. Let's have a conversation about that afterwards. But I agree with you. I didn't really like the TARDIS being the villain, but it, my problem with that isn't so much that the TARDIS shouldn't be a bad guy. It's that the TARDIS doesn't see the bad guy plot through. It's, okay, wait, Gregor steals the light egg from the whatever room. Yeah, the make Machine room. builder, yeah, exactly. The 3D printer room. The 3D printer room, exactly. Yeah, the living metal. Yeah, at which point the TARDIS goes full berserker. All right, I'm now going to get you lost in this labyrinth. I'm removing doors. No, wait, I'm going to cut a hole. All right, here's a door. Uh, okay, but we need to get this time egg, or not time egg, this little well, no, light I mean, egg. It, it, but then he drops the fucking light egg into the s- collapsed star at the center of the TARDIS. What, so did we not need that light egg? Is the TARDIS going to be fine without it? And the TARDIS never turns around. The TARDIS doesn't really punish anyone, and it doesn't really reward the fake android guy either. There's like one scene each where oh, there's no door, and oh, we let the android guy through. Yeah. So it's it's a half-arsed villain, is my point. Well, it's because it's not setting out to be a villain. There's a lot of chat in this episode about how the TARDIS is alive or reacting like a scared or angry animal. And stealing this egg makes yeah. it go into mother hen mode where it you know throws a squawky tantrum and gets rid of the door. But it doesn't mean that it's going to kill everyone just just like that. It's not that type of villain. It doesn't have to kill everyone. I'm not, I'm not referring to that. I'm thinking more of sort of forcing a character arc. It should have put Gregor in a... His name's Gregor, right? Yeah. It, the TARDIS should have put Gregor in a situation where Gregor is forced to evolve emotionally and morally and either chooses to do so or chooses not to do so, and if not, then has to face the consequences, and we see that moment, that turn in Gregor, but instead all we see is Gregor merge with his brother and turn into zombie gloop. Thus, neither one of them has a complete arc, you know? Yeah, that I did not understand at all why they turn into their zombies. Seriously, what yeah. are these zombies? I guess they're sort of time echoes. The Doctor at one point says, this has happened before. So there seems to be some sort of loop that has happened, or or this is a memory from the future thrown back into the present somehow. So what has, will have happened before is now happening, perhaps. So uh, 
when they touch each other, then the timelines converge. The Doctor says time asserts itself, or the future asserts itself, and the present becomes the future in them being zombified. I I thought that was... Okay, well, first off, they are turned into these zombies by being by being burned by the or like sorry sort of mutated by the radiation and fire from the star right yeah they, this is the eye of harmony the eye of harmony yeah. yeah so if you if you're exposed to that radiation for too long you turn into a zombie <laughs> you burn up and yeah. you turn into I d- a lava zombie i don't know why you turn into a zombie and don't just burn up exactly yeah so either you but, but yeah well, well they could have drawn a parallel there because the eye of harmony is a supernova turning into a black hole kept in a state of permanent decay they could have said this is exactly the same thing that is happening you with these dying people they are forever burning to a crisp yeah on the yeah. verge of death eternally but why have they so are they have they just gone mad with pain? yeah why are why aren't they just stood in the corner screaming in pain why are they going after people yeah shouting fuck you past me <laughs> i can't believe you you prick or just shouting don't go in that fucking room. <laughs> Let the doctor do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I didn't understand a lot of this episode. The details in it just are a bit all over the place. And we also... So we can come back to the end bit properly if you want. But Drew kind of said about things having happened before. And that's ultimately what we get with the final thing. Is that this loop has happened at least three times. For the button to come through and Clara gets it, and then the final one is the doctor knows that the button's come through and has Clara got it, and he puts it back through but tells himself this time. So we're into a kind of Bill and Ted situation of things, and the doctor seems to know more than he is letting on, certainly, but does he know about the entire previous timeline? Or You're right about the Bill and Tedding, because he sees evidence of going to have done something and therefore feels that he has to do it, and by doing so, he has done it and rescues his future self. But he even changes it as well. So he doesn't just, oh, I need, it. I need to do this, like he does with like delivering letters to get people to Lake Silencio and stuff. Yeah. He sees that this thing has happened, he knows that he can do it, but he needs to do it better, which is what he ends up doing. Oh, yeah. Which is, I have, I have issues with that. Like, I don't think this is something that Doctor Who should really allow us to do, especially in the Doctor's own timeline. And, like, with, all these things are just... But within the TARDIS, surely time is, is in greater flux than it is anywhere else. Yeah, I, I think it's a better context for it here than in The Girl Who Waited. Yes, agreed. And actually, that's a super good parallel because there are some striking similarities between the two. Thank you. What is that scene about? That when he's walking around... Sorry, when Clara's walking around and she sees herself and in various points in her timeline and she sees the Doctor, the Doctor doesn't see her, her version of the Doctor comes up behind her and goes like, don't touch it, don't talk to talk to that. that that's just, Why? That's just memories. That's just CCTV footage projected in front of her. But it seemed to... He seemed to infer that there's some sort of danger. Oh, that if she sort of flickers into the past doctor's perception somehow if she grabs his attention enough then that will cause some sort of paradox yeah something Maybe. something like that yeah i'm not entirely sure what but yeah that's a possibility i mean i like i like that idea i like the idea of time being in flux in general and so the rules are a little bit more relaxed than usual and we don't have to pick that apart as a problem necessarily but it does make defining whether they did it well or not difficult it just feels a bit cheap okay 
Oh, is this another one of those that, upon first viewing, seems really clever, and the more you think about it, it's just dumb? I hope it's n- that's not the case. I think it's not entirely dumb. I no. think I think it stands up because I'm still at well. the point where I think that this was a really clever episode, frankly, with a few glaring exceptions. Yeah, to pick up on the narrative arc, not finishing, which is a point I would hate to leave unfinished. Also, <laughs> they do sort of. They ham-fist a parallel <laughs> resolution by having Gregor, who has now not ever been into the TARDIS, saying, oh, you know what? Maybe I'm just a, a tiny bit decent after all, picking up on something he never heard the Doctor say. Yeah, exactly. So how did that work? Are there ripples from the resetting of the timeline? There must have been something. I mean, the Doctor has now influenced their lives. I have no idea. I kind of hated that. I I just thought, why is he behaving in a way as if he's gone through an arc, but didn't? And does this mean android guy tricky? Is that is that tricky or is that uh, tricky? Yes. Yeah. Is <laughs> just going to be forever thinking he's an android, or are we hoping that his brother has now that modicum of decency that he'll tell him the truth at some point? I think this has now saved him from that. They're going to have a really awkward sit down at some point. So you can thanks to the doctors. So you can have a loop of time inside the TARDIS, but it still affects the time outside. Well, when they come out of the TARDIS, sorry, we're still in the TARDIS, but when they come out of the loop, Clara says she's super tired, and the doctor goes, "That's because we squeezed two days worth of events into one day." So that means that they may even have retained memories from this. Because why else would you be tired? Why else would you feel like you've done twice as much? That is true. Because although that directly contradicts, yeah, it does. Clara, the resetting of everything. Well, no, no, it, 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 it contra- Well, it does, but it contradicts the Doctor saying, "I know you saw my name in that book." The good thing is you're going to forget <gasps> everything. You're yeah. right. You're right. And also, in one guy's, all of them died. Like, So do they have a memory of all dying, turning into zombies? And Yeah, you're right. In, well, it, not just that. They all turn into zombies and then they all each got murdered by the zombies, except for Clara and the Doctor. Yeah. I mean, at least two of them. Are they, they, they going to have the worst nightmares for the rest of their life? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Also, who wrote the last volume of the history of the Great Time War, except the Doctor, the only survivor? Yeah. It's basically his diary after a certain point, <laughs> yeah. and he just wrote his name down in his diary in case he forgot it. Diary it of the Doctor, colon, a history of the Time War. No, it's just written in crayon on the front. <laughs> this belongs to... John Doctor. <laughs> Age 912. <laughs> and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was something I meant to check in a trivia sort of way. Uh-huh. The doctor says he's been flying the TARDIS for over 900 years, yeah. but he's 1100 years plus. So was Hartnell like 200 years old at the time when he stole the TARDIS? Is this ever figured out? I think they've just messed up his age. Oh, no, come Cause, on. Because surely they've said that he's well over a thousand or like well over 1100 even. Yeah. By the time he dies at Silencio. Yeah. How old is he then? Yeah, 1120-something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay, so I guess that... Ma- okay, sorry. Maybe he was 200 when he uh, picked up the TARDIS. Why not? Yeah. Although, I- Troughton had the 500-year diary. Ooh. As in, he was writing his diary, and it was in a tome which had, <laughs> on its uh, front cover, printed 500-year diary. 
<laughs> so maybe he had just he w- he had just written two hundred years worth, and he still had like three hundred yeah, years worth. It's of just a diary that will last you five hundred years. Exactly. Yeah. No. Actually, you know what? I take it back. That's perfect. One one handy receptacle, <laughs> five hundred years. <laughs> one book. <laughs> Don't have two adventurers alive, because otherwise you're going to run out of pages. <laughs> yeah, we're banking on you starting this. And then not filling it in for 200 years. Gallifreyans don't learn how to write until they're about 250, so... Yeah. Hence, he's still fairly ropey with a crayon. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a bit... I mean, rather precariously placing a tome with his name written in it, just in the library, on display in the library. That seems foolish. He's an egomaniac. Yeah, but his name is the Manchurian candidate triggered phrase of, like, galactic undoing. Yes, yes. Maybe don't put a spotlight on your name. Yeah, don't leave the book to be opened at the exact page, because as we know, because this is what Doctor Who does, that's what happens. Of course. (laughs) Unless maybe the Time War is just pretty much just about him, and consequently whichever page you open it on. Yeah. There he is. When we've had Gallifreyan texts before, Mm -hmm. have they said it doesn't translate? We've had this conversation before. I can't remember what the verdict was, but with the Bad Wolf text, for example, when Bad Wolf is written all over the place in funky alien fonts, mayhap, but still Bad Wolf in English, I think we said that that was the TARDIS translating even written language for Rose, I guess? We definitely see written language being translated. I think they did it in... I don't know, one of, the, one of the historical ones, I think they walked past the stall and you saw it changing into, oh. into English. I think they did that once. Oh, nice. Yeah, and we've had Hello Sweetie yeah. translated on yes. the first yeah. cliff on Planet One. That's true. I just wasn't sure if there was something about his crib, which also appears in his episode. Yes, it does. Um, when we get the whole Rivers, River Song, um, Melody Pond thing. Oh, yes. Do they say like there's writing on his crib and... He's doctor says, like, oh, it won't translate or something like that. Yeah, and only River can read it. And Amy and Rory are like, what's going on? What's going yeah. on? I don't know how I fit into this, whatever this is. Wait, remind me of this. There, there's writing around his crib. Yeah. Um, I, Which I is not translated. Are we told what it, it says? I can't remember. Is, is that meant to have his name on it? I don't know. Possibly. I don't know. But I, I think they basically, they basically make some kind of implication that Gallifrey and at least written Gallifreyan, doesn't automatically get translated for humans. Okay. But presumably that's what this account of the Time War would be written in, wouldn't it? Have we had modern Gallifreyan and ancient Gallifreyan? Has there Old Gallifreyan. Diff- Old Gallifreyan. Okay, so maybe that's maybe it then. So this is written in... Oh, this is Text the... Text speak. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean the King James uh, history of the Time War? Yeah, where the Doctor hates the Daleks. Mm. <laughs> Unless we Angry are. emoji. <laughs> <laughs> Unless we are just accepting that the Doctor wants people to know his name now. He's kind of done with it. And this is all written in something that's easy to translate. Well, this sort of brings me onto a point which I was thinking about, which is the Doctor has had many companions. Yeah. And Amy and Rory have had a bunk up in the TARDIS, we know that, mm-hmm. yeah, on their bunk beds. <laughs> but Clara's been around for a little while now. And she has clearly been shown none of it. She's never seen the library, never seen the pool. Yeah, basically not been off the console room, slash bridge, whatever. Everything seems to be new to her. Yeah, that's true. Which doesn't ring true. I think we've also had a reference to there being multiple pools 
at some point. I think even in yeah. Smith, Matt Smith goes like, oh, it's in one of the pools, you know, whatever yeah, he says. I had to say space by getting rid of one of the pools. Or yes, exactly, like yeah. So maybe she's been to another one. Maybe she's... Maybe there are just so many rooms in there that coincidentally she's never been to the library, but she's seen lots of other... Yeah. yeah Recently we had the boot uh, cupboard, or whatever it was, in Classic Who. We got a little tour of the inside of the TARDIS. Oh, very nice. One corridor and one boot cupboard. Yeah. And then the same corridor again. Yes, exactly. Pretending to be a different corridor. A few, a few times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good thing they don't do that anymore. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm buying that. That That's his um, over-the-top, ostentatious word I can't say, uh, library. And Clara's just like, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> that's a gorgeous library scene, yeah. though. Yeah, but she's, she's gone into the, the village library version, and that's the city hall with a collection of every single copy of everything ever made. What's the other room we see? Because I couldn't decide if it was a giant astronomical device or a rocket. So I made a note of that as well. So we get to see the, the pool, the library, and a telescope, I think it is. But I wasn't. I added in, in brackets, is this the same telescope that we get to see in Tooth and Claw? You know what? I'm going to... Tooth and Claw telescope. I don't even remember that. It is. Nice! It absolutely... It looks... Yeah, it looks the same. Well done, they held on to a prop. Yeah, but w- w- why does he have that... Why does he have that telescope? When he can go to whichever star he decides to look at. No, but not just that. Like, I mean, that is the telescope from Tooth and Claw. It, it has... It, it looks like it's on a crescent moon. Yeah. Yeah, so it, that is definitely... I'm now looking at a screenshot from Tooth and Claw, and it is absolutely the same one. So why does he have the gigantic telescope from Tooth and Claw? That was in the building that would then later on turn into Torchwood. Yeah, just to piss off Queen Victoria a little more. Hates the bitch. <laughs> <laughs> So, can I ground this episode? Please do. This was written by Steve Thompson. Ooh, and, Steve-o. And aired on 27th of April, 2013. Okay. Who knows who Steve Thompson is? Everyone. All Don't raise your down. hands at the same time. <laughs> He's written two other episodes of Doctor Who. Oh, okay. Which ones? He wrote The Curse of the Black Spot. Oh, Excellent God. episode. Man, that was a good one. Yep. And Time Heist. <laughs> that was a good one, as I recall. Wait... I take that back. I reckon when we finally get to Time Heist, we will have a similar situation where we'll go like, oh, that was so clever. And then we'll pick it apart. Possibly. But he hasn't just done that. He's also the third hand who's driving the Sherlock writing team in addition to the splashier, attention-grabbing pair of Moffat and Gatiss. Mm -hmm. For that series too, he wrote three episodes. Oh, it was. The Blind Banker, a fairly pants opener. Don't remember that one. Exactly. Okay. It's the middle one from the first series. Okay. The Reichenbach Fall... Oh, okay. Yeah. Modern classic. Uh-huh. And then he co-wrote The Sign of Three with Moff as he co-wrote Time Heist with Moff, which was decent with the odd ropey moment. So this just seems to be his MO of writing in for series. Well, in fairness, you can absolutely make a career of that. Yeah. Yeah. And he has. <laughs> <laughs> so well done, Stevie. Yeah, props to you. <laughs> I'm going to go on record and say I think this is the best of his three episodes, mm. even though we are beginning to fray it around the edges. I'm super duper looking forward to Time Heist. I remember that being a great episode. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm slightly worried now, like you said, because I remember this being a good episode. And as I did I. I, <laughs> I didn't, as, I think maybe my expectation was set a bit too high, but I, I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would have done. Okay, can I add to the list of sets that we've seen with the exploded engine room where they're walking around the explosion with all the bits yes. frozen in the air? Was that not one of the coolest things? That, you know, or the spe- coolest special effects you've seen. Yeah, it looked pretty bullet timey in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, nice. Nice. 
Yeah, well done. They've learned how to 3D track stuff. I thought it was pretty no, cool I'm, to I, see I'm something mid-explosion. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It it was a re- it was a really cool effect. I apologize, BBC Special Effects Department. It was really impressive. It, it was very nicely done. Not just that bit, the the scene leading up to it, where they have to jump across a cliff or whatever it is. Yeah, like at the end of the other Indiana Jones film. Also. Like, there are tons of really good visuals in this. The the eye of harmony looks spectacular. Really does. Mm. Don't know why you have a effectively a drawbridge, but <laughs> a drawbridge of doom between two rooms. It's a leap of faith. No, but the, <laughs> no, to, to walk oh, past. Oh yes, that one. Yeah, it, not mm. the Indiana Jones leap of faith thing. No, I mean, the, the, uh, the, the drawbridge uh, across the, the the Empire Strikes Back drawbridge. Why would it be constructed in that way? It reminds me of the well-ventilated room of death in, um, <laughs> is it called End, End of the Worlds? The, the second Eccleston episode. Yeah. End of the Worlds? You know what I mean? Where, where there's a gigantic the fan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he has like, to sort of you roll ha- his eyes back in his head and just have a moment. And, and just walk through it. Yeah, yeah, but why, why the shit would you have a giant fan in the middle of a room that you have to cross in order to get to an important part of the like engine or whatever it is he's going to? You wouldn't. You would have an extra little passageway, but you don't. You have a fucking fan in the way. And in this case, you have to walk past a zombie radiation in order to get to the exit. Yeah, with, with no handy zombie suits in any of the adjacent corridors. What if you get to the other end of this Empire Strikes Back uh, drawbridge and you go, oh, oh, fuck, I left my keys in my other trousers. Oh, no, I'm a zombie. <laughs> oh. It happens. <laughs> that's probably what uh, one of is zombies. drifting through space right now we have one zombie clutching his face that's the doctor we have one zombie whatever doing something that's clara and the two zombies that are stuck together we don't get to see the third brother zombie the one who's uh, constantly patting his bridge. trousers looking for his keys <laughs> was it not just a shortcut like there's a proper way around you're not oh, meant you to go through that way yeah, maybe the TARDIS can't fuck with this way. So the Time Lords put that in so that they would have a failsafe. Uh, well, I mean, it's not the best failsafe, yeah. but I mean, it's an option. They do fail. So. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like... So granted. <laughs> it is anything but safe. <laughs> I feel like it's there if you've got some really secretive shit you just have to get rid of. Yeah, and no oh. trace of it can ever be found again. Oh, this is the paper just, shredder of the t- yeah, of the TARDIS. Yeah, you, you just stand on the drawbridge and just. <laughs> plop. Oops! I just dro- dropped my tax papers. <laughs> oh yes, that video of me somewhere I shouldn't have been. Boop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to drag this back to a positive if it kills me. Oh, okay. The Doctor, when he's got the three bruvs yeah, on the cons in the console room, and he's saying, "You have to help me find her," and he says. And we've got an hour, and he pulls down the, the the traps or whatever. I thought that was such a madman power play. I, I thought Eccleston could have done it. Capaldi definitely could have done it. Surely any number of classic doctors could have done it. Did that not give you a chill? It absolutely did. And it contrasts very well with the zany wibbly-wobbliness of Matt Smith in general. Mm. Like when he just goes, I'd oh, never follow a madman into a spaceship. Like, you just feel like, holy shit, this guy's just lost it. This guy has <laughs> absolutely gone off the deep end. It's brilliant. And then when he takes it back towards the end, it's like, oh, no, and you have to give you give the guy a look as well. Like, it's, kind of like <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> I, no, I like Smith. that too. I'm yeah. really going to miss Matt Smith. Mm. I think he might be my favorite right now. Yeah. 
And then he cuts it in half. And then he says, do you want me to take it down to 15? And they're like, no, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) He is a dick and he is loving it. (laughs) And I felt then like I was plugged into this rich history of this semi-maniac that semi-maniac well you know he he is only putting it on in this instance and he has made doctors who are more maniacal than others but i felt like yes yes this is this is a side that i am happy to see resurrected here uh, i'm i'm with you on that me also but marvelous <laughs> <laughs> i've just seen in my notes that uh, alongside the crib i had noted that in the same scene we also get to see the creepy tardis model that uh, amy pond made as a kid Hey. Why does he have that? That's a bit creepy. As in, in and of itself, it's a bit creepy that he has nicked her childhood model of the TARDIS and is storing it inside his TARDIS. Hmm. Did, did he steal that the very last time he went back to see little Amelia Pond and we saw her face light up and we heard the TARDIS coming in? No, because she still has all of those things in her room on her on the night before her wedding. Yeah, but we agreed that his coming back that one time more would scar time beyond repair and just fuck everything up. Oh, so so maybe, there's no reason he couldn't have nicked this it. This is a creepy TARDIS model echo. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, maybe. Okay, gotcha. She probably made thousands. He just nicked one. <laughs> she was pretty obsessed. Come on. Yeah. yeah, she was. Couldn't quite get the blue right. <laughs> I've got another positive. Oh, let's hear it. This episode gives us a Clara-presented edition of... Corridors and Corridones. Oh, marvellous. When you are faced with a red flashing light, do you A, get out of here fast, or B, whatever you do, don't open this door? Jim, do you want to take this one? I, I, I think you go and open the door, don't you? I think, I think you're right. Yeah. Is that right, Drew? That is not right. Oh, damn oh, You are it's... both now pursued by flames. Exit stayed left. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> you're worse than Harry and Marv in Home Alone. Is that it? There's just one. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> Aside from that, Short she round. got everything right. <laughs> you guys are both dead. You cannot quibble. Oh, okay. I mean, you, you can complain to Missy about it in the promised land, but we'll get to that. Can we return to uh, what's-his-face Tricky for a second? So they've tricked him into thinking... Oh. I just got that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so they've, they've tricked him into believing that he is an android. Yes, possibly the shittiest thing I've ever heard. I mean, that's, that's horrendous on their part. But is he not also a bit dumb for believing them? Well... He d- he's not able to compute things with uh, computer accuracy. He's not super strong. He must be able to go, even if I'm a Terminator, even if I'm a metal skeleton and then fleshy outside, even so, I mean, I feel like I'm kind of fleshy on the but inside as well. These are the only two people he has contact with and he wakes up with amnesia. Yeah. Does they can he tell eat? him does anything. He, does he eat stuff? Yeah, they can tell him anything. They, they, they can make yeah, but up no, 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 words but Leon's, for no, Leon's right, because I wrote this down too. Does he eat stuff? He, he has got two bionic eyes in a synthetic voice box. It, it, every three hours in the toilet, does he think he's leaking coolant? <laughs> no, they just change every three what? hours. Are you okay, Drew? <laughs> <laughs> it's very important to keep hydrated in space. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but you just reframe what an android is. Like, he, he thinks he's... A robot that eats because it's the way he fuels his power cells or something. Okay. Like, they've just made up a load of shit. To- yeah, you're a biomechanoid, mate. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> do you think he had a barcode on his uh, on his neck? Do you think they tattooed a barcode on him? Just they to, probably like, did. <laughs> really hammer home this illusion. Yeah. That's not done in pen. <laughs> and if you scan that barcode, it says, it says world's most gullible android. <laughs> 99p. Also, it puts a different spin on Gregor being so annoyed with Tricky earlier when he says, you're always on the side of the machines. Well, who do you think has put that idea into his head, you twonk? <laughs> What's the other brother? Bram. 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 The Stoker. Yeah. <laughs> Dear. He, he keeps the engine running. <laughs> he doesn't really factor as much, does he? He doesn't really do anything, no. He goes to rip apart the console. There is That's a, a, there's a plot, gorgeous but... scene, I thought, when he removes the console, then just lifts the lid, and there's a whole room inside it that then leads into the corridor that the other people are in. Yeah. That, I think, is a really fun way of screwing with what is space and what what does the uh, transcendental, the dimensional transcendentalism, you know, what does that mean? Oh, we get a soundbite, the uh, dimensionally transcendental soundbite. We get lots of soundbites. Oh, yes. I didn't like the soundbites. I think it's a nice sentiment because I'm pretty sure that's Tom Baker explaining the the size discrepancy by saying, oh, it's dimensionally transcendental. And there are lots of other voices. I didn't recognize any of them. Eccleston is talking at one point. Is Eccleston? Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, there you go. He's saying, this is a fuck off big, big ship inside. That's what he's saying. There are apparently audio clips from An Unearthly Child, Ooh. Colony in Space, All right. The Robots of Death, Mars, Rose, we haven't seen that yet. Rose, Smith and Jones, The Beast Below, and The Doctor's Wife. Rose, have you ever seen such a big fuck-off ship? <laughs> <laughs> Soundbite. <laughs> I didn't fully understand what... Oh, maybe this is the TARDIS retaliating then, because I didn't at the time understand why when Bram is climbing down the ladder why it starts to either burn or freeze his hand so that he has to let go. Yeah. But maybe that is the TARDIS going, motherfucker, you just <laughs> took off my console. Yeah, well, he's he's essentially so. climbing down her top. Yeah. Yeah. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way the TARDIS diverted them, spinning a labyrinth around them so that they would run from one scene into exactly the same scene yeah it reminded me of the 1998 avengers film <laughs> starring sean connery ray fines yep. and uma thurman yes indeed yep where that exact thing happens it also happens in matrix reloaded and they stole it from the avengers yes <laughs> that peak of cinema <laughs> ranked number 80 on the top 100 worst movies on imdb uh, it makes for a really good episode of how did this kid made actually oh i'm yeah. sure it does <laughs> Don't they all nick it from Scooby-Doo, though? Oh! oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's what I always it, think of. It's like, a, it's a Hanna-Barbera trope. Uh, yeah. Yeah. See, I think, again, I would have preferred more of, like, what you were saying, Leon. So, it, it's not just, where well, you walk off the left screen, you come in on the right-hand side of the screen. It's maybe you come in upside down, or... There should be more you, attempts You of... fall in from the top, you know, or... Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. There, there should be, and they set that, that's a super good idea, because they set that up 
in the beginning of the episode, when they walk into the TARDIS, I thought this was brilliant. I wrote it down as like, oh, the uh, gr- the gravity within the TARDIS gets them in the right side up. So the TARDIS is sort of diagonal on the floor. It's almost lying down and they climb into it. But the second they've passed, the, like they've crossed the threshold, they are standing up yeah. and they're just walking straight up, which is awesome. That's very, very cool. It kind of makes you wonder, how did that work when Matt Smith crashed in the TARDIS in the first Amy Pond uh, episode? Oh, and he has 13th to... 13th hour, and he's just hanging outside of it, you know? Yeah. And then drops back into yes. the pool. Yes, exactly. Oh, yes, into the, into the pool. Oh, yes, into the pool. <laughs> but, but so if they set up that, oh, the, the, the TARDIS has its own gravitational pull, or it has its own internal gravity... Even when it's absurdly damaged. Exactly. That's like that's Chekhov's internal gravity. It's really setting up an opportunity for the TARDIS to then retaliate by turning off the gravity, or you know, in some other way, fucking with them. Yeah, it's it's bigger on the inside, so you can mess with the size as well. So <gasps> Gregor goes off screen, and he comes back off screen on the right, and he's absolutely tiny. And he's yeah. like, why are you so fucking big, bruv? That's such a good idea. Yes, I love and he's that. he's terrified, and, and the guy's like, where are you, mate? And he's, he's about to step on it. Ah, fucking hell, bruv! And runs. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> so Red, Red Dwarf's done a similar thing, actually. With- oh, Red, of course. Red Dwarf's done it. Red Dwarf's done it. Well, not, not, as, <laughs> not a small thing. Well, I do have a kind of small thing when Lister gets wrong, but there's the... When they get a time dilation, like and they split the screen, so you step on one side and you go really wide and talk really slow and deep like this, <laughs> and then you walk on the other side. You see what I speech like this? <laughs> I think, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe that's that's why I just kind of keep thinking that it could have tried a bit more. There were some some nice ideas. It could have just done something a bit different. It was just like, well, we'll do the Hanna Barbera thing. Yeah, it's not. We'll do something interesting. It's not. We'll we'll work out how to do like a a long shot following them around the corridor and it will loop. It's no, we'll put the, put the camera down the static thing. We'll let them go off screen. Cut. What, what <laughs> come, they, in, come in on the other side. What, yeah. they, what they should have done is they should have started following them down the corridor and the doctor is at the back of the group and the two bruvs are leading ahead. And eventually you start to see the doctor appear ahead of them around the corner and making his way. Yeah, back exactly. Like, Hang on a minute. Out. Why are we catching you up? You're behind me. Yes, I know. And it's like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't think that would have taken a lot to do with like current technology. Yeah, they could definitely have done that. In fact, I really wish they had. That's so cool. I'm so pleased with myself. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they spent so much time doing a massive grabby hand thing to pick up the TARDIS at the start. Blew all the budget. Yep. <laughs> you want I should blow the budget on these clamps? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to clap you. <laughs> <laughs> we do get quite an important thing in this episode. Okay. Although Clara forgets it all. But the doctor tells Clara that he's seen her exist and die. Yes, you're right. Twice already. And she kind of takes it pretty well. <laughs> I feel like she's obviously not understanding it, but... She jumps very abruptly from from saying literally she has never been more scared of him in her life to, yeah, all right, I'll take a leap of faith and jump off this cliff with you, with a smile on her face. Yeah, a little bit. But I think I think it's kind of understandable in that situation. Like he's There's no choice. There are zombies behind them and yeah. they can explode. Like, yeah. how, how do you understand any of the things that happen when you're with the doctor? Like, yeah, that's true. He's telling you, you've died twice. What the fuck? You're, you're a crazy man. You're really scaring me. But we're still 
got zombies after us. We're still inside a thing that changes dimensions and time just on the drop of a hat. Okay, yeah, I'll just do what you say. Yeah, yeah, okay, no, fair point. In any case, you are right, that's a, that's a huge reveal. And it must be so cathartic for the Doctor as well. It seems like he's just been aching to get this off his chest. Just say it out loud. One could even think he had manufactured the scenario. Just he, to get it off his he chest. He gets the answer he needs that Clara doesn't know. Oh, that's true. So do you think he remembers all this? Yeah. Yeah, but how? Because he's... The, the furthest he gets to the Doctor at the beginning, who is the one who will continue with the timeline, is lobbing him the magna grenade or whatever it is through the time crack, which is causing him immense pain. And he can't pass all the way through. Does he die by doing that, by the way? It seemed to. I thought he basically disintegrated. I think so as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely the Doctor who is left pressing the big friendly button who is the one who gets to survive. I, d- I feel like the Doctor just knows stuff that happens in all permutations of time. I'm sure we've had this happen before. Wait, why does he... Oh, I guess maybe he he knows that they've crammed two days worth of life into one day just because he saw another version of himself. So he knows that there yeah. are parallel time streams. He doesn't necessarily need to remember all of them. But it, why, why has he put a time frame on it? Why has he said... A two days two in one days. day. Oh, yes. It could have been two years. And why is she tired? Why is she extra tired? I think this is... I think, dagnabbit guys, I think that part of this episode is bullshit. I, I think they should have, they can't have it both ways, basically. Either you have, they've reset everything and only we, the audience, know what's happened. And to them, it's like nothing, nothing changed. They never met the, can't remember what they were called, the Balen brothers, whatever. Van Balen brothers. Van Balen. Van Balen. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Or that at, at the very least, the doctor, because he is immune to all these weird time distortions, he has full recollection. Total recall, you might say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the very least, he could have been consulting a TARDIS readout that tells him some of this yeah. stuff. Or he could have access to the, the CCTV in the snarl that will later on, he'll be able to figure out what happened and what he learned back then. The TARDIS could be saying, yes, you have aged by 25 hours, Doctor, and that's how he knows, or, or 48, or whatever. But he wouldn't have aged anymore. No, I suppose he wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so that's out. But we have the the console room echoes. Maybe you could do something with that, because there are multiple parallel console rooms, and when all of those are being brought back in, maybe the TARDIS, which kind of exists across time and space at all moments. Maybe the TARDIS retains the memory. Mm-hmm. The Doctor does not. I don't know where I'm getting this. No, I, I think it's unquestionable the TARDIS knows what's going on. I think the TARDIS just exists outside of time and is, is so used to seeing things in a way we can't comprehend. Maybe the light egg is gone. Because the dude drops the light egg into a freaking collapsing star. Yeah, He's not going to go and get a new... Wait, can he get the machine to build a new light egg? Well, it depends whether that exists outside of time or not, because it goes into a thing turning into a black hole that's in a suspended state. Because otherwise it would just reset like everything else. (laughs) This is very (laughs) difficult to figure out. (laughs) I I think that could be part of the reset. We could invent a special rule for it, but I think the universal rule we've established could be applicable. Can we talk about the reset, though, the reset itself? It is achieved by using one of these little grenades. It's just thingies. a remote control for the Magnagrav. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, so the doc presses it and turns it off so the TARDIS doesn't get snared in the first place. Oh, right. Because I think we see the brothers with it. So how does... Or, or the Doctor has it. No, the Doctor has it. He's, he's kind of going, I saw the remote control. 
So how does he get it? I think maybe he just swipes it while he... Well, because they're, they're on the, okay, the so, little corridor bit before he convinced them to go into the TARDIS. I think he but, sees it there. No, because before they exit the TARDIS in the very beginning, Clara picks up the grenade, then everything rattles because they're being pulled in by the magna whatever, the magnetic grabby thingy, magna grab, magna grab, whatever. Yeah, no one's pressed the button, but she picks it up, right? Yeah. He therefore takes it and goes, oh, so this is the magna grab thing. He takes it out of the TARDIS and shows it to the three brothers and goes, well, I saw this, so I know that you're fucking with me because this is clearly yours. This is part of your illegal equipment. So then he brings that back into the, into the TARDIS then. He must. I don't think I realised it was the same one. Because, well, otherwise, uh, otherwise there's a second one. Where's that second one come from? Why is there a, why is one of them inside the TARDIS before he has been outside of the TARDIS? Well, th- this is me saying that there are at least three permutations of this scenario. So because, does, does that mean a double loop? Yeah. So the first time round, Doctor throws the remote into where did he get it? the TARDIS. Yeah, but where did he get it? Well, this is Bill and Ted logic, though, isn't it? It's like, at some point, it doesn't really make sense, because you have you have to have the premonition to do the thing that but you the Bill, But the Bill and Ted do. element of it is, oh, shit, I didn't realise that I was going to write a big friendly button on it. I'll write big friendly button on it, and that way I will continue the timeline. That's the Bill and Ted thing. Yeah, but most of the situation in Bill and Ted, they have to get out of the predicament they're in to be able to, in order to do, do the thing to save themselves in the predicament. So you're saying not only does does him holding this grenade-ish detonator button, whatever, th- this uh, remote control, mean that, okay, I can press this remote control. It also means I need to go and purloin such a remote control from somewhere, then give it to my past self so that he doesn't know that he will go and purloin it from somewhere. Possibly. Let's go with that. <laughs> I, I think they're missing a step there. Yeah. Well, you're always missing a step because it's a, it's a paradoxical loop. You you can't you can't start it because you you need the loop to exist before you can actually do the thing. <laughs> Which is it's why I kind of hate the Bill and Ted thing because it, it's a bit hand wavy. It's like well, we're stuck in a situation, but somehow a future version. As of long us as comes we remember and... to go and fix this, it'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I think adds to this is that I think that Steve Thompson thought, you know what, I can stop people interrogating this and getting angry with it by making them happy in two ways. Okay. One way... Right time heist. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, just keep moving on. Look forward, don't look behind. One way is, when Clara had burnt her hand at the beginning and blew on it, I thought to myself, that's not going to be picked up. They're going to completely ignore that, and she's going to have this huge burn on her hand, and it'll just be one of the things that gets dropped in the cut. And no, it proved to be integral. And I 100% also, knew that there was going to be something there. Yeah, I, I didn't, though. I was sceptical. I thought it was going to be amateurism. Not to brag or anything. <laughs> yeah. And the second thing was the grenade itself. I clocked in the cold open. Wait, how could that possibly have got there? Because the brothers aren't in the TARDIS yet. And if it came from the brothers, there's no way it could have got through the door, shields oscillating or not. Oh, well done. And then I thought, oh, wait, that's actually integral to that resolution. So, oh, my goodness, that works. But actually, it doesn't work. I was misled by my emotions. (laughs) Well spotted, because I did not clock that at all in the beginning, and because of that, when you then later on at the end see him throw it, I go, that's super clever, I love this episode, it's the cleverest thing. Yeah. Okay, so we're one brag each. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, chin chin. (laughs) (laughs) Good chin chin noise. Dialing back a bit. Okay. Gonna be a bit negative again, I'm sorry. Oh, that's right. We mentioned the echoes of the console room. Yeah. 
And alongside the mention that these are echoes is the phrase that they're safe. They're basically safe havens. So the fact that Clara ends up in one, the Doctor's happy that she's he's she's there because she's not going to get attacked and it's all okay. But then she gets attacked. Then she gets attacked anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so there's A, there's that. The fact that it's not a safe thing, even though the Doctor says it is. But it, it would have been if she hadn't been dumb enough to open the door and let one in. Why does the TARDIS not just remove the doors? Because yeah. the TARDIS removes the main door... When she f- when she's in the first console room, she's like, oh, no, why are you doing this? Why won't you let me out? Well, just if this is a safe haven, ferry the good guys into the safe haven and then block it off. Yeah. Like, otherwise, it's just a room. Exactly. It's like, there's nothing intrinsically safe about it. Exactly. It's just a room. Yeah. So there's that aspect. But then I found there's kind of the bigger aspect of what the hell is the TARDIS and what is the TARDIS doing in this episode? Because we've said before, it's kind of being the villain. Yeah. But then at the same time, there are the concepts of safe havens. Is Vitardis just damaged and so is misbehaving? Or is the, the main kind of entity that the Doctor talks to all the time offline because the main engines aren't running properly? Or, you know, wh- why is this behavior the way it is? I think the Doctor implies that the TARDIS is taking a very clear moral stance. The TARDIS is saying these people are against me, namely Bram and Gregor. And that's why the TARDIS is expected, but does not properly retaliate against them. And uh, the TARDIS is expected to identify Tricky as a good guy, and that it does do. We get the recognition of this by the Doctor even, like, patting him on the cheek and like, yeah, that's right, it's because you told your fleshy counterpart, don't take the light egg. So are we meant to accept that the TARDIS generally doesn't like Clara then? Because Clara is getting the worst end of this shitty stick. No, for the, the most the, part. The TARDIS is giving her very clear warning signs in the form of red flashing lights, and Clara's being an utter imbecile. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Again, when she's opening the doors on the safe haven bridge. I suppose. We should invent some sort of quiz to figure that one out. (laughs) (laughs) But again, if the TARDIS is able to reshape things just however she it wants, why is there a a door with an alarm saying, please don't open me? Yeah, why not just... Why isn't there just a bulkhead? Yeah, remove the door entirely. Yeah, and even when they get into the room, why not have just walls appear around the creatures? Yeah. And block them in, just, like why, just encase them in ice or something. Like, why would the TARDIS allow this to happen? That they, they all get evaporated and future versions of their evaporated cells come around trying to attack them? There's just this constant safety net for the, for the writing of this episode in saying that, oh, well, the TARDIS is damaged. So if something doesn't make sense, it's because that particular microchip or component of the TARDIS must be broken. Yeah, but it's also the way in which you make the infinity of possibilities of, of the TARDIS fit in, A, into a 45-minute episode, and B, stop it being resolved in eight seconds flat. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Can I bring something up that I really liked? Yes. But just yes, a, just a very, very brief observation. The Encyclopedia Gallifreya in bottles. In bottle form. That's, I mean, it's a little gimmicky perhaps, but I thought it was lovely. Does that mean that you can drink that and absorb all the knowledge? I, I guess so, yeah. Yeah, why not? I, I mean, that's know. what I'm doing with this angry orchard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I liked it. I'm no? Sorry. Well, I don't, I don't mind the idea that there are bottles and there's a question of how you ingest it. But I hated the little visual effect of... 
there's like smoke coming out of it. Smoky kind of writing in the air, and oh, then that... and then the audio effect of of voice over the top as well. You it's didn't like... think it was like a cool little homage to the BFG? <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe I do now. <laughs> Go on, you're starting to like it a little more, aren't you? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I rather liked it, but I wondered why why that format because the rest of the library is all in print form. Yeah. The history of the time war is not written in bottle. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a very elaborate idea someone came up with. It didn't last very long. They did, they did they did one print run and it's like yeah. <laughs> and then this they realized us, the, guys. The, the second you drink an encyclopedia, you have to go and buy a new one. You can never look something else up. <laughs> <laughs> and wait, actually when you pee it out, you forget it all. Shit. <laughs> oh damn. <laughs> I've got some final positives and negatives. Oh, let's hear them. One, the brutal info dump at the beginning, where Robobruv and Kidbruv having mm-hmm. a conversation. Yeah. And Robobruv says something like, yeah, don't worry, it's not actually worth anything. And Kidbruv turns around to him and says, yeah, but you only said that because you're an android and I'm not. You never get bored. And it's a complete non sequitur. And we've already seen the android's eyes. We've seen that he's an android from his eyeballs and through his eyeballs. We've seen visuals of them whirring and him with a, a data overlay of what he's looking at. Yeah, that's true. And they have to sl- beat us over the head with it. Yeah, it's completely unnecessary because later on when he meets the doctor, he also repeats it himself and goes, yeah, no fear, no anger, yada yada. Yeah. I get the, the ham-fisted nature of it. I, I feel like it kind of is necessary, though, to say the word android. You would just think maybe he's got bionic eyes or something because he looks very human. So why wouldn't you have the the brother telling him it's Gre- it's Gregor, right? Why wouldn't you have Gregor tell him, yeah, but you, of course because you're an android. And then when he walks off screen, you pan to the side and Gregor and Bram are just like, <laughs> did you hear me? Did you hear what I just said? Tricky, can be like, you're always telling me that. Look, I get it. All right. <laughs> Okay, what else do you have? I quite liked the the power play of Gregor wrenching the circuit egg off anyway and making the TARDIS, you know, do his bidding. Yeah. And make the door reappear. I didn't see that coming. I thought they were going to take the easy way out that scene. Yeah, that's true. And it, yeah, it was it was a twist. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Jim said so. Okay, right. <laughs> Next, I thought that this was much scarier than Hyde last week. Agreed. That's in my bullet points for <laughs> for my rating. Oh, sorry. It, it's, it, it is really scary at times. A lot of jump scares as well, yeah. which I'm maybe less of a fan of. But Did you like the needle thingies that stick out of the walls all of a sudden? The fuel rods warping. Yeah. Yeah, that was good too. Jump scares galore. I kind of like the idea of it. I just don't like the reasoning. What, the fuel rods? Yeah, why, why is that just happening in the one corridor they're in? <laughs> yeah. Because they're right under the direct... They're directly under the engine. And because fuel, fuel rods cell. are the shape of giant needles pointing towards the corridor, Jim. Come oh, right. on, yeah. get with the program. And they, they come in from all sides. Of course. Yeah. But they're, only, not, they're not arranged in a neat line somewhere. Uh, no. Transferring fuel. No, no, no. Always diagonal and always <laughs> right in front of where you are. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> to cycle back to the creatures. Okay. I just thought last week it was, guess what? There's a scary monster and the doctor's scared. So that's that's scary, right? But here we have creatures. You can't see it in the same way, but they're actually pursuing. You actually see them pursuing someone 
Clara in the library, etc. You see them kill Bram. Yeah. So that can that raises the stakes far above what we had last week. Yep. So it's just much better. And also the Doctor apologizes and there's a mystery going on along the way. It's not just it's scary, get with the program. It's, there's a mystery here, and that itself is unsettling. It was superior in so many ways, is what I'm saying. Good. <laughs> I'm going to look at what you gave Hyde. Do you remember? Oh, 2.4. Oh, 2.4, you say? Yes. I also like that the doc, while thinking he was bluffing, was actually being double bluffed, and he was actually in trouble. That was another positive. At one point, right, I thought that the memory zombies, it was going to be Amy, or one of them was going to turn out to be Amy. Really? Jealous of the Doctor having a new companion, like a memory of a really early Amy, just just pursuing Clara through the TARDIS, saying, get away, he's mine. <laughs> and then run out to the Doctor, give me a kiss, give me a kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Just just half a dozen old zombie Amy's just surrounding them in a room. <laughs> Pawing at him yeah. with their lava hands. <laughs> you're getting behind this, aren't you? <laughs> well, it sounds like you're gathering speed for a mini here. Do you want to rate this? Yeah, go on then. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. As I've said, last week pretty much epitomised the dubious virtues of Tell, Don't Show. Not to pick on Neil Cross anymore, but it was, there's a scary monster, I'm scared of you, let's all be scared together, woo. I haven't actually seen Luther, but does it go, Oh, watch it. I'm a hard-bitten detective. Luther, you're such a hard-bitten detective! Let's all take some hard bites together, grrr. Funny enough, that, That's like, that. you have just recited the teaser trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this episode was actually made by people who know how to let a story speak for itself. I had high hopes of this episode being a belter to allay the doubts I had about the series. And for the most part, I still think we got one. Rather than being beaten over the head with characters saying, It's in the trees! It's coming! We actually have something for our imaginations to run with. And there's some reverse psychology as well. Trust me, there are some things you don't want to know. Oh, Steve Thompson, I actually really do want to know! Once he learns how to info dump, the man will be unstoppable. There was a lot of fun stuff going on here. The pace never slowed. It twisted and turned. We saw the Eye of Harmony. To address the concept of infinity in the TARDIS, it definitely makes you wish for something more than what we got. Five sets and a bunch of corridors. Jim has said the same. A review review I read on IMDb said the same. But at the same time, we're never actually going to get that. We thought of ways to improve upon it. But we don't get infinity in the far-out Marvel space adventures either, on budgets of hundreds of millions of dollars and with two-hour-plus running times, so I'm not going to knock that many points off for that here. Clara and Doc had some fine, if not incendiary, dialogue. Anything could happen to you. That's what I'm counting on. I thought that was a pretty good send-off. Tricky being an android was definitely a weak point, and I was a little confused by the resolution, but otherwise, this really fulfilled my briefs, if you catch my drift. I'm going to give it a 4.4. Whoa. Yes, I enjoyed it that much. 4.4, right. (laughs) Leon, do I have a big heart of the TARDIS? You have a huge heart. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, do you want to go next or should I go next? I can go if you want. I don't mind. I can I can do the nice little roller coaster of scoring if you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you gonna go low? I feel like you might you might go above me but below Drew. Hot. <laughs> Excellent. I'll be I'll be the meat in this <laughs> in this ghost sandwich. <laughs> because spoiler alert, I am not gonna do a four point four. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> 
See, I I actually remembered this episode reasonably well. Like, I okay. I kind of I remembered that Tricky was an android. I remembered that the zombies were all future versions of themselves, which makes it d- more difficult to rate. I think because having already seen it and remembering those bits, I think dampened my experience of the episode. Mm. I I kind of thought this was a good episode. That was my memory. I kind of felt like it was still going to be a good episode for a little while. And then, I don't know, I'd, it just more and more things just felt like they could have done more of it. There was some nice kind of sentiment going through. I, I loved that the Doctor gets to have a moment with Clara and ask her straight up, what the fuck's going on with you? <laughs> I've seen you die twice. Come on, stop pissing me about what's going on. <laughs> You know, that's uh, but obviously it's done in a heartwarming way and, uh, and and the doctor just being absolutely blindsided. He just doesn't understand what the hell this impossible girl is. And that's a nice moment to get. And I think it's it's OK that it's kind of swept under the carpet of like, well, everyone's probably forgotten it. Maybe the doctor has remembered. We're not quite sure. Maybe I'll come up again. I, I can't actually remember in the series whether we get a clue that the doctor has retained this memory or not. But that is the biggest cheap thing in this, though, is just a big reset button. Like it, it could just be, and they all woke up. Like it was all a dream. It was timey wimey, pushy wushy. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there are some nice bits. The, the effects are pretty much amazing throughout. But I kind of take that for granted now in in you who i think i think they they've had the budget that they've needed to have for quite a while if someone wants to do a decent cgi effect they do a decent cgi effect if they want to throw in little cgi effects for like the the bottles of the encyclopedia with the little bits of smoke writing over the top like it looked gorgeous i didn't quite buy what the hell it was i didn't quite like it but it looked gorgeous like there, there are plenty of interesting people working on this and doing good things i just don't think it all quite comes together and i i don't like the big re- reset button i don't really like that the tardis is a villain and i don't really like that we don't understand the motivation of the tardis it's not quite the master villain it's not quite still helping people it's just a bit of everything and it's it's just all over the shop and it's a bit of a missed opportunity in my mind. So it's just above average. It's a 2.6. Okay. So I had you done for a 3.6. Oh, <laughs> okay. 2.6. Gives you plenty of space to slot yeah, in. You can, <laughs> you can slip in between us quite easily, Leon. <laughs> Man, it's taken years, but I, I finally got you to say it. <laughs> right. Okay. Excellent points from uh, both of you. I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to follow that up. I... I'll start by saying I was going to give this such a high mark, like a crazy high mark. Was it as high as the 4.7 I was originally going to go? Wow. <laughs> it was thereabouts. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but I do still I do still enjoy uh, much of it. I- I'm going to give this plus points for teeny tiny things like the green pinup poster at the start of the episode, the mind-bending innards of the TARDIS, though, upon reflection and after this conversation. Clearly, there wasn't nearly enough of it, but actually just seeing anything beyond the console room is already a, a huge bonus. I like that there were multiple console rooms, even though I would have liked at least one of them to be wood panelled. <laughs> or a classic console room, perhaps? Although then you'd have had fans saying, well, I wish they had this classic <laughs> console room instead. <laughs> I'm also giving a plus points for the scariness of the episodes. The side characters, I, I really enjoyed them, and I enjoyed the occasional just darkness, the insidiousness of these characters. I, I like the peril, the drama, the stakes. But I'm also giving it negative box for 
revisiting this bloody book, The History of the Time War. The doctor's <laughs> name is on display in this book, and never mind that it is prominently displayed underneath a spotlight in the library and any companion might walk into it. But was it a print run of one? Like the, the great intelligence can just go to the Gallifreyan version of Amazon and get a copy of the, <laughs> the history of the time war and, and wow, you know, plop, there goes the universe. Uh, it's meant to be this secret that no one knows except for the Doctor and maybe his parents, right? Oh, and, and River Song. I really want to hear Richard E. Grant in his coldest, steeliest voice go, yes, I consulted Kerblam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also giving this negative marks for the fake android because that is just really, really dumb. How did he fall for it? I'm giving it negative marks for the time zombies because they are not explained enough and as such they are a little shit. Uh, and also the logic doesn't quite check out, but the logic doesn't check out on such a level that I'm still not sure to what extent it doesn't check out. <laughs> It's so complex, potentially so complex, that it does check out and I'm just not clever enough to see it myself. And for that reason, that negative goes full circle and turns into a positive. So adding You're saying to that, it loops back on itself. It loops at least twice. <laughs> uh, adding to that, the acting is great. The production values are out of this world and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm going to give this a... I'm bumping it back up a little bit. I'm giving it a 4.0. Hey! Bada bing, bada boom. Listener minis. Let's see what they think. Now let's hear from podcast land. Max to 50, or it would get out of hand. So we have three listener minis. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> woo, woo. <laughs> That's two, Jim. Woo. There we go. <laughs> Excellent. And the first one, reading these in chronological order, the first one comes from Michael Ridgeway. Ridgeway. Hello, Michael. Hey there, Michael. Love you, Michael. <laughs> Love you, Michael. Things I liked, starts Michael. Gory, scary time zombies. The Eye of Harmony. First appearance since the Seventh Doctors 1996 TV movie. Yeah, he pretty much led that whole thing, didn't he? (laughs) (laughs) Snippets of the expanded TARDIS. More, please. The History of the Time War. Ooh, ah, but who wrote this? And is it really over? Guest star. The sacred lighty tree from Avatar. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hadn't thought that. <laughs> True. And the last thing that Michael liked was Clara Appreciation Society moment of the week. Cross Clara smacking the doctor. Full <laughs> on punching him in the arm. Yeah. Yeah. Hot. Michael has also provided a list of beefs. <laughs> Numero uno is he's a human. Tricky is a goddamn human, aka Eyeball Gate 2. Android Invasion, you've been stripped of your your award for dumbest twist. <laughs> <laughs> the official Star Trek Voyager reset button. Cheats! <laughs> Retcon 1, more expendable salvagers to create a massive multi-limbed time zombie. Like a Power Ranger time zombie. <laughs> like, like a human centipede time zombie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We had half a second and our minds went in completely opposite directions. But fully predictable. (laughs) Retcon 2. Exploring the wreck of a baddie, Time Lord's TARDIS. The Doctor would have been in the dark as much as the others, and it could have been doing some serious sicko timey-wimey shit to the cast. That's yeah. an excellent idea. Yeah. Mm. Michael summarizes. For the love of God, would somebody please stop M. Night Shia Lama 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 Ding Dong getting access to the script cupboard? <laughs> and Michael's rating is 2.7 out of 5. Unexplained mm. but scary ass time zombies. Brains. <laughs> Past self. 
brains. Thank you so much, Michael. Awesome mini. Thank you, Michael. As always. Yeah. And a very good rating, I must say. It's very close to being perfect. (laughs) I thought you might think so. (laughs) Dearest podcast land, if you are perchance not following Michael on Twitter, then you are seriously missing out. Please head to the Twitter sphere right away and follow him. He can be found at bad underscore movie underscore club. And you can also check out his first post on the Who Back When blog. That's right. Mm. Well worth a read. Oh, it is super duper worth a read. Glad you're okay, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The next listener mini is from Star Wars Sill, Star Wars Sill, Star Wars Sill. Star Wars Sill <laughs> has very mixed feelings about this episode. Yeah. Star Wars Sill did not enjoy the guest characters, and that oh. backstory for Tricky was. So awful and cruel Uh and just really uncomfortable. Yeah. (laughs) Agreed. Star Wars is also puzzled why all the burning people didn't, you know, fall down and die. (laughs) And instead we're trying to kill the living. Why exactly? Do they crave brains? (laughs) Suspended state of decay. Star Wars Sill also wants to know about the piece of fabric that fell on the console of the TARDIS at the very end of the episode. Uh, uh, I thought for sure, says Star Wars Sill, the Doctor would pick it up and it would be something to do with the season arc or the next episode or something, but then the episode just ended. I think he holds... Does he throw it and then it lands on the console? I think he's holding... No, I think it drops from the top of the set. Oh, really? I I went back and looked at this a couple of times because I was confused by it too. And it really seems like they just didn't catch that before putting the final shot in the episode. Oh, wow. All right, then. On the other hand, Star Wars still liked seeing the Doctor's old baby crib again. Mm. And Amy's model TARDIS. Yeah. And we finally got to see the swimming pool. Hooray! So I will still loved the encyclopedia bottles and the little letters of mist coming out of them. Oh, hey, mm. Jim, here's my friend who agrees with me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very good, Star Wars Hill, very good. It's just, says Star Wars Hill, people with burns but severe don't go running around trying to murder other people, even in space. I know this because I watched Revenge of the Sith 15 times. <laughs> <laughs> the monsters in the TARDIS should at least have black armor and noisy breathing apparatuses and preferably capes. Excellent use of your time there, Star Wars Hill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but th- that's the least of all the number of rewatches. Yeah. <laughs> One can hope. No, surely Phantom Menace gets the least. Oh, I don't know. We just forget it exists, don't we? Oh, that's true. It never happens. Yeah, you don't get a rewatch on that. No. <laughs> no. Everybody gets it's one. It's not that bad. <laughs> Sorry, Star Wars Hill, if you really like Phantom. Yeah. Yeah. Star Wars Hill gives this a rating of 1.8 out of 5 bottles of knowledge and a lot of corridors. Thanks, Star Wars Hill. <laughs> yeah, wow. Well, just really increasing the spread there. <laughs> I feel vulnerable. <laughs> I've Bill... Jimdicated. Vindicated. <laughs> Jimdicated. Oh. Podcast Land, do you agree with Star Wars Sills rating or do you disagree? Well, you can head on over to Twitter and tell Star Wars Sills so Star Wars Hill can be found at Star Wars Sill. Thanks, Star Wars Hill. Next up, we have... Tracy from, from America. America. Hello there, Tracy. Hello, Tracy. Feels like we haven't done that jingle in a while. I know. It's Welcome been a while. back, Tracy. Yeah. Tracy starts... 
Eleven's obsession with figuring Clara out is really beginning to bug me. Ooh. At the end of The Snowman, when he decides to try to find this girl again, it's kind of sweet. Maybe they are meant to be together somehow. He had such chemistry with brainy Oswin and impulsive governess Clara. He says he knows who and thinks he f- if he found her twice, he'll find her again. Will there be romance? Cookie adventures? But once he finds a third Oswald girl, he suddenly suspects something nefarious. It's like, dude, you wanted her along, and now you act like she's going to kill you. His relationship with Clara Prime is actually super messed up. Magna Clara. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great week for messed up relationships as a pair of brothers convince the youngest he's really an android. If you notice at the end, the photo is restored. Ooh, I did not notice. I'm thinking the rewritten timeline contains some sort of post-hypnotic suggestion resulting in the pair never having fooled Tricky. Mm. Nonetheless, his memory loss makes him unfit as captain, and his prosthetics make him robotic, resulting in Bram teasing him as Gregor defends him. Have I been getting Bram and Gregor mixed up this whole time? No. No, I don't think so. No, it's just, it's reversed in the... At the, at the end, yeah. Exactly. Oh, okay, end in okay. the new universe. Let's move on. And finally, Tracy notes that the last scene appears to show Clara having just showered, which strikes me as very... Yes! Intimate. Oh, it's, this is the thing I wanted to tell you about. Go ahead. Well, wait, wait let's, let's finish our <laughs> mini first. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt your, your mini, Tracy. She's both trusting and flirty, hinting that she's considering a relationship. Or are they already in one off camera? Is this a good idea, given all the suspicion he holds? on to that's not all he's holding on to tracy (laughs) (laughs) and the rating that tracy has given this is eye roll emoji (laughs) probably appropriate yeah oh wow i'm way out here on my own (laughs) with with you Uh, with me not on your own Uh, you're you're both out there on on that limb (laughs) hey jim here's my friend who agrees with me yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) what were you going to say about the wet hair well i think tracy's already quite neatly summed it up she shows up at the end i well i didn't necessarily think that she was just out of a shower, I thought maybe she had gone to the pool, or possibly she was on her way to... Like, she is wet. It, it She does not look fit for the TARDIS console room, and there is a... There's a degree of... I mean, yeah, I, I'm just going to repeat what, what Tracy said here. I mean, there's a degree of intimacy that I thought maybe we could touch upon, but it's too late now. It's too late. Really, just being a bit damp is a sign of massive intimacy? Just show, <laughs> I mean, showing up... Not in that way, Jim. Externally damp. <laughs> I'm amazed Leon wasn't jumping yeah, I know. on that. <laughs> it's mostly why I'm laughing. It's just like, how is this not happening? <laughs> just no, have to fill the void, didn't you, Jim? <laughs> it just seems like the. it's not just a matter of being comfortable with someone. If you show up and you're, you're still... I mean, she's not disheveled, but she's still not done showering or bathing or whatever it is that she's done. She's still in that face. She's got a towel over her shoulder. There's a certain familiarity there. Is it not just implied that all the companions live on the TARDIS while they're travelling with the Doctor? Like that's what happens when you're a guest in someone's house, isn't it? You... Yeah, but they don't necessarily like interact to that degree. Like, you don't stay in your room and do your makeup. You kind of walk around the house. Yeah, you need to come on one of these friends' holidays. It's really not <laughs> so weird. Jim and I have seen each other topless. Oh, yeah. well, now I'm just jealous. <laughs> hmm. Okay, well, you know what, Tracy, I know what you're getting at. Podcast Land, do you agree? Yes, of course you do. Tell Tracy so. She can be found on Twitter at... That's Fountain Tracy. Backwards, almost. <laughs>
And do check out Tracy's latest short story on whobackwhen.com. This one features not only the doctor, not only some really cool microbes from outer space, but also former Who Back When co-host, Nick. Hopefully once and future co-host. But yeah, what up? Marvelous stuff. What's next? A classic Who episode. Right, Jim? What is it? Right, Leon. <laughs> It is... The Deadly Assassin. That's correct. Oh, man. Another killer title. Oh, it's gonna be, that, it, that's going to be badass, I think. Because it's, it's on Gallifrey. That's when he returns to... Oh, oh yeah. That's going to be... Mm-mm, that's going to be a good one. Son Sarah Jane. Yes, that's right. No companion. Uh, well, maybe a new companion. Who knows? Maybe he's just going to slot it up and just like pick up the first hitchhiker he can find. Anyway, after that, we have a new episode, namely... N0, nope, N100! Whoa! The Crimson Horror! That's right, with Mr. Sweet. Mm. Crimson Horror. <laughs> yes, we have two weeks to perfect our accents. Yeah, I don't think it's set in Wales, is it? I think it's just up north. Yeah. We need Marie. We really need Marie. Yes. Yeah. For number 100, even if she's dying. She's not dying. <laughs> she's fine. Touch wood. She's fine. <laughs> Good. Then maybe we'll get an audio of the Earthly Child in there at some point as well. Yeah, very happily. Let's do that. In the meantime, you can say hello to us on Twitter as well. Jim, you are? Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the what now? No, Jimmy the Who. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and Drew, you are? I'm at Drew back when? Excellent branding. And you are? Uh, at Ponkin. Because, you know. You can and you can. Thank you so much for listening, dear audience. You've been lovely. Until the next time, rock on, be right next to each other, and cha-chao. Bye-bye. See ya. (laughs) Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to, and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen, all in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen, all in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind-the-scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?